But this morning, before I get into the uh, to the message, I we got just an onslaught of uh, emails and questions this last week about a new movie that's coming out called The Golden Compass. And a lot of people were wondering, you know, what's the deal about The Golden Compass and what's the church's stand and are we going to warn everybody about The Golden Compass? So um, uh, I decided when I first got the question, I kind of rolled my eyes back in my head thinking, oh boy, here we go again. Uh, From my personal viewpoint, I, I think the evangelical church has done just a miserably embarrassing job of identifying what they think are threats to our uh, salvation and making a whole bunch of noise about nothing because historically I don't know how many of you have, have been involved with this for very long but let me give you a little walk down memory lane uh, one of the earliest ones I remember there being all kinds of fits about was the Smurfs and how the Smurfs were uh, little demons and uh, how that would be a threat to our children's spirituality. And uh, just, uh smurfs. Then there was the great uh, Teletubby attack. Where if you remember one of the major evangelical leaders of our time was warning us of the Teletubbies. And how one of them was a homosexual. <laughs> I, I don't know how one could tell a Teletubby was a homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> They all kind of look neutral to me, but, uh, you know, and just having a fit, just stupid stuff making, in my opinion, stupid comments that just embarrass the kingdom of God. And I'm sure non-Christians look at that and think, what's the matter with these people? I remember the uh, Star Wars, what a threat that would be to our children and how, you know, they're all going to turn into, uh, you know, some false religion or whatever because of. Star Wars and you know goodness gracious I guess you can get freaked out about anything I, I take these things I turn around these things and use them as spiritual examples uh, to our kids we always did uh, talk about the force being with you you know and Luke use the force that's a great analogy don't trust yourself trust the Holy Spirit and you know what I'm saying you can use all that stuff for whatever and the fact that they weren't born again Christians I got a shock for you most people who make movies are not born again Christians you know Goodness gracious. Then there was E.T. You know, and how that was a mockery of Jesus Christ. I just thought the guy wanted to go home. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> but yeah, was, listen to these nitwits on Christian radio stations. Like, oh my goodness gracious. Then, then there was the Harry Potter panic. <coughs> that was back, I don't know, six, seven years ago when the first one came out. Remember people talking to me about the threats of Harry Potter and how, you know, everybody exaggerates all this nonsense. One lady comes in, into the church office here and says, you know that Harry Potter thing, we've got to speak out against it. They've got links on their website to, to the Wiccan organizations and other uh, witches stuff. And I said, oh, um, have you looked on their website? No. Which is usually the case. Ask most people, have you read the thing? Have you seen this? Usually it's no. And then uh, uh, I said, well, I highly doubt any of what you just said is true. Oh, yes, that's true. I said, well, let's go look. We went looking. There was no such thing like that. Just always in a panic, always overemphasizing, always, uh, you know, goodness gracious. Now, if you don't want your kids seeing those kind of things, that's your call. That's fine. But I highly doubt that uh, your kids are going to be horribly corrupted because of these things. That's my opinion. Um, uh, I know of one pastor at the time who just had a fit and spoke very strongly against this Harry Potter. 
just going on and on. And, and I knew that this guy had personally let his prepubescent teenage daughter go see Titanic, which was out at the same time, like 14 times, you know. And I think, you know, I don't know if you've seen movies like that, but I, I'll tell you, sex, uh, sexual negative messages that go to our culture is much more dangerous than these other things. You know, Titanic, you know, what a great message for your little girl to hear. You know, of course, that message there is that if you really like a boy after a day, you can show him your movies. <laughs> after all, he's just an artist, and he's just art, and he's just drawing. And if you really love a boy, if you're really in love with him, which can happen, of course, in a day and a half, then you can have sex with the boy. You know, this is a message. She's letting his daughter listen to 14 times. Oh, it's over romanticized nonsense. But, oh, don't you go see Harry Potter? I got to tell you, of all the temptations I've had in my life, never once have I been tempted to want to fly around the house on a broomstick. The booby thing, more of a problem for me, I got to tell you. Goodness gracious, the chance of your teenage boy wanting to fly around the house on a broomstick is pretty low. The chance that some little boy wanting to come over and check out your daughter's boobies is pretty high. Get a clue for crying out loud. In fact, I personally, this might make some even mad and get in line. But of the people who have the biggest fits about these things, these people usually have some big garbage thing in their lives that they haven't dealt with, and they just love to jump on something else to yell about it. And you take a close look at them, they're dealing with some sexual sins or some other outrageous things in their relationships and, and in their personal life with God, and they just seem to get in a lather. It's my experience, of people who get the most condemnatory towards others are the ones who have some big secret thing in their closet. So don't let yourself get all in a fit about it. You know, of course, at the same time, Lord of the Rings came out, the first one. Anybody see that thing? You know, that thing was at least by a factor of ten times more dark and witches and spells. And all. The Christians didn't say a word about that one. Do you know why? Because the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings was a Christian. Now, I don't know how you tell the difference. But goodness gracious, talk about inconsistent nonsense. Goodness gracious. So anyone I heard the golden skull, oh, movie golden, come up. Oh, here we go again. So I, thought, I better look it up. So I started looking it up. And I will admit, in terms of things to point at, at least this one has some legs to it. At least a little bit. The guy who wrote this book, The Golden Compass, is, is part of a trilogy that he wrote in response to uh, the Christian message in uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And he says by his own words, quote, he says, I hate the Narnia books and I hate them with a deep and bitter passion. So here's a guy who intentionally wanted to write something contrary to this guy because this guy is a God-hating atheist. Now, I've never understood God-hating atheists. I've understood God-ignoring atheists. After all, there is no God. Just ignore him. How you can hate a God that doesn't exist, I don't quite understand. <laughs> I hate God. I, I thought you didn't believe in him. Well, I hate him. Idiots. Well, this guy says, I'm trying to undermine the basis of Christian belief. My books are about killing God. And in point of fact, if you look at the, well, the first book is pretty 
mild, and that's what the movies are based about. Then the second one gets heavier, and the third one real heavy. And literally, uh, the books, uh, from my understanding and from his own uh, words, is about the heroine eventually uh, discovering and killing God, and how great freedom comes once God is dead. And uh, certainly a negative thing. So, um, now the first book... Uh, movie is on based on the first book which is very low key and they even took some of the atheist messages out of the movie so the movie in and of itself is pretty neutral i mean it's just in a you know a fantasy movie and and like there are on, on, on lots of different things uh, during the holiday season here uh, the the potential problem would be uh, kids seeing the movie and it's probably gonna be very cool they probably spent 100 million dollars or more producing the thing and think oh great I want to I want to read the books and then the books then actually um, get into this extremely negative thing so I would be very cautious at least if if I were you so I if my grandchildren I would not take my grandchildren to see such a film not that the film in and of itself is bad but fear that they could you know get caught up into it and they want to read the books and then hear the very anti-god anti-christ message um uh, that's in it, okay? Uh, is it a threat to adults? I don't think so. If you watch a movie or read a book that somebody doesn't like God and that makes you lose your faith, you haven't got much of a faith in the first place. So um, I don't think it's much of a threat to an older person or older teenager type thing. I'd, I'd be more concerned about the kid's angle on it. So that's my advice. I, I think the Catholics got this one right. They're encouraging uh, uh, families to boycott the movie, uh, just not go, we're not going to get out on picketed or any nonsense like that but um yeah it was small kids I, I wouldn't take them to it you know that's my personal opinion but uh, on the other hand i'm sure it's not this major horrible horrible thing there's lots of anti-god messages in movies it's just the culture that we live in and in fact there's a lot of times it's a great opportunity to talk to your kids about some of these things so if you got older kids that's one thing but i'm just talking about the little ones you don't want to reading those kinds of books and and stuff although i suppose you could let them watch a movie and not let them get the book so uh, you know, whatever. I hope the movie's enough of a flop that they don't go on and make the next two that do have the very, very anti-God messages in them. But uh, I don't think it's this big threat per se. Anybody watch uh, Happy Feet? Anybody see that movie? Anybody catch the really blatantly anti-Christian message in that? You know, that these guys, you know, these, the, the older penguins and stuff, they were like the elders of the church. We can't do this. We don't believe that. And, and this open thinking penguin. You know, there's all kinds of little tiny personal swats at established religion through that whole thing. But goodness gracious, the chances of my little grandson picking that up, most of you probably didn't pick it up. It's highly unlikely, you know. And I think our faith is a little bit stronger that we can handle some of these. Does that make any sense? You know, it's, it's not like we're so fragile. And our faith is so weak that if we hear one little thing, it's going to cause... Man, if, if you go see some movie or some, read some book and it makes you fall away from Jesus, you, you probably got other issues. Having said that, I think the book or the thing is dark enough by the guy's own words and opinion that uh, if I got small kids, I'd pass on it. So there, that's my answer to that. Beyond that, don't ask me any more about it. Okay, it's, it's not the end of the world. Let's talk about Christmas. Now we are continuing the message, preparing for Christmas. What we're doing is we're looking at Luke, the first chapter. Luke is the one who sp- took the most amount of time to give us the most amount of detail about the, the birth of Christ. The other ones, very mildly, uh, a couple of them just passed over pretty much all together. Um, but Luke took a bit, 
a bit of time there. And we were reading last week how the angel came to Zechariah, who was going to be, this is Gabriel, comes to Zechariah, and this is going to be the father of John the Baptist. And he shows up and says, your prayers have been answered. And of course we pointed out that it seemed rather odd because these, these were prayers obviously this guy had given up on a long time ago. He'd been praying for his wife to become pregnant. They're now, you know, on the verge of geezerhood. They weren't, you know, out of the, out of the category of, kind of my age, kind of the category of uh, having babies is kind of long past. And uh, um, I'm sure they had prayed for decades, asking God, asking God. It never happened. And then um, all of a sudden the angel shows up. Hey, God heard your prayers. And thinking, what do you mean? And, and we talked about how... Uh, one of the interesting things about faith, there, there's a lot of things in, in faith that are paradoxical. In other words, on the one hand they're this, on the other hand they're that. And at times it seems confusing, uh, almost contradictory, but it's not. It's just, it's just, it's just a mystery. And the, the paradox here is that on the one hand when you pray, you need to be intense and deliberate and trusting God and, 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 and believing God with all your strength and energy with your prayers. On the other hand, you need to keep a very open-handed approach to God in your prayers. In that what you want doesn't become so important to you that it becomes more important than God. If you're praying for something and if you don't get it, you get mad at God and get bitter against God, you got a problem. Alright? People who say, well I prayed, I'm so mad at God because I didn't get what, get what I want. You know, your priorities are messed up. Okay? God comes first no matter what we get. God isn't just Santa. Okay? God isn't just uh, some old grandpa sitting around just to give you stuff. While he does want to bless you, it's not about what we can get from God. It's about connecting with God and being part of the kingdom of God. And he's our father and we're his children. And there's this relationship with God that we have. And if what you want is more important than God, you got a big problem. And you get in an attitude like that, God isn't going to give you what you want that's more important to him. Why would he do that? He says thou shalt have no other gods before me I'm a very jealous God anything that you think is so important you want more than God and you're willing to break off your relationship with God because you don't get it you ain't going to get it and you're in a bad place Zechariah was a guy who after decades of praying and not having the answer was still serving God he was still a priest he still came into the to the to the altar and was offering up uh, incense to God and prayers to God he had a good heart even though he hadn't gotten what he wanted Still loving God. And all of a sudden, boom, the angel shows up. God heard your prayer. Kind of a little timing disconnect there. But uh, so, so this is the setup for where we're at. So now the, the angel starts telling uh, Zechariah about this child who's going to be John the Baptist and describing him to him. And uh, he says, well, many people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, talking about John the Baptist. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, when I'm sure when he first read, heard that, he had to think, well, wow, that'd be kind of cool. Because if you read anything about Elijah, Elijah was this really cool butt-kicking prophet. I mean, this guy, was he was neat. He'd get in people's faces and do some of the most amazing miracles. I mean, uh, sometime we'll just do a little uh, study on, on, the, on the life of Elijah and, and see the uh, amazing miracles this guy had. And, and the attitude that he had is absolutely fascinating. So now when you think of the power of Elijah, you would think, wow, this guy's going to do some incredible miracles. In fact, the prophecy was that before Jesus would come, there would be someone who would come in the spirit of Elijah that uh, um, before Jesus came. And they were all expecting this guy with these incredible, miraculous powers. In fact, if you read the Gospels, at one point, the disciples come to Jesus and said, 
say, wasn't Elijah supposed to come first? Some thought literally Elijah was coming back. Or wasn't somebody with great miraculous powers? And he says, yeah, he did. John the Baptist. And the reason why they had missed it and why it's easy to get off on this because you would think these miracles would be what he did, but there's no evidence that John the Baptist did any of these yo mama cool butt kicking miracles. But he did miracles nonetheless, but they were different miracles. And the angel goes on and actually explains the kind of miracles that John the Baptist is going to be doing. So he continues here and he says, he'll come in the spirit of Elijah, in the power of Elijah, to turn, number one, the hearts of the fathers to their children. Number two, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And number three, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. These are the three miracles, the kinds of miracles that John the Baptist did. And uh, uh, some of you remember me mentioning this before. I've talked about this before, but of all the people in the Bible, you think, gee, you know, my ministry is kind of like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Boy, I, I feel like my ministry is more John the Baptist-ish than anybody. Not that I'm John the Baptist, and I certainly hope I don't lose my head at the end of the deal. But, uh, John, you know, John the Baptist was this guy who was very confrontational. He would get in people's faces, and he'd yell at them. Knock it off! Knock it off! Knock it off! And uh, I, that's kind of what I do. But, uh, Hopefully not in a mean way, but you know, um, just challenging people to do it right. And the three points that he talks about John the Baptist doing is really kind of the three points that our church uh, is trying to focus on. Um, about being real and all these different things. Look, look at what he says here. Number one, his mission is to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's the first miracle. It's about challenging men to become real men. Have you heard that before this year? Challenging men to be real men. Challenging men to turn their attentions back to their children. Back to their families. Connecting with their most fundamental responsibilities. Why is that important? Because it's very easy for men to get sidetracked and pulled away from their responsibilities. But a real man, and, and someone recently asked me, so what's your definition of that? My definition, a real man is a guy who lives by his principles and his commitments and honors his commitments, no matter what he feels or thinks at the time. Because quite often, we will feel or think that these promises and commitments aren't that important. But we don't live by our thinks, thinking. We don't live by our feeling. We live by God's principles, the teachings of the scriptures, by our promises, and we honor them. That's what a real man does. He honors those things. It's easy for men to get pulled away from these things. Um, quite frankly, uh, a lot of guys who uh, have careers, it's very easy for them to get pulled away from uh, their home because they get so much attention at work. At, at work, they praise them and they, you're wonderful and you're great and you're fabulous and you're fantastic and great. And then they go home and, and you're not quite the rock star you were at work. Are you hearing me? Now, this, is e this happens very easily for people who get, it depends on your, your job, but the, the more you get that at work, the more, bigger of a temptation it is. It's a big temptation for a lot of pastors. That's why a lot of pastors, their home lives are so bad because they get sucked up in the attention of, of the church and the adoration that people give them and they begin to resent and ignore their wife and their children and they disconnect from them. Um, uh, you know, in, in what I do when I travel around the country doing these marriage seminars and being on television and all these different things that I do as I speak around the country uh, during the week, 
Um, you know, these people treat me like I'm a rock star when I'm out there. They do. They just think I'm fabulous and I'm great and they're asking me for autographs. They think I'm brilliant and da, da, da. And they come to my wife and say, it must be so wonderful to be married to him. And she smiles thinking, yeah, it's a thrill a minute. <laughs> and people clap and cheer and stuff and then I come home. And my wife is not nearly as enamored with me as they are. It's just reality. It's just life. But I got news for you. This is phony. This is real. One of the reasons I love pastoring and people always challenge me. Why don't you just keep doing your speaking ministry? And say, why do you, why do you want to pastor? Because it keeps my feet on the ground. When I'm here, I'm just Pastor Mark. I'm not a rock star. I'm, this, this is real life. This is dealing with people. Real challenges. Real struggles and stuff. Not out in this other world. Uh, any kind of job. You know, some of you guys like playing football and stuff like that. It's easy, man. When you are getting sucked into this world, everybody, 40,000 people cheering you, woo! And you go home, and your wife says, take out the trash, what's the matter with you? Are you hearing me? It, it, I don't know what color this comes at you, or, or the shape that it is. It's easy for men to get pulled away. Now, obviously, if all you ever get at home, ladies, is criticism, and rah, 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 you're going to push him away. You need to be careful. But on the other hand, there's no way that you're not going to get some of that. It's life. It's reality. Why would you stay here when you're getting this false praise here? Because you've made a commitment. You've made a promise. You're living scripturally. God says that you need to honor your wife and your children and your commitments to them. You need to stay connected with them. And one of the things that John the Baptist did is he, one of the miracles, quite frankly. We don't think of them as miracles, but it was a miracle. That he turned the hearts of men back to their families. That is a miracle. It's a miracle I'm constantly chasing. Uh, men have always been challenged with uh, with this thing, even in Jesus' day. Now, we've got a lot more distractions in our, our culture today. But look, look, look at this scripture in uh, Matthew, the 19th chapter. We read about some Pharisees come to Jesus. And they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? These guys had it so structured, you could divorce your wife if she burnt the toast. Seriously, this is what they did. And what was the end result of it? It kept women in fear. They were terrified in that culture. It's hard enough today to survive financially after a divorce. And quite frankly, I've never quite understood it. 80% of divorces in America are filed by women. And I know you get so mad. But, you know, and I know you've got your list of reasons and stuff. But goodness gracious, you need to slow down a little bit. Being divorced is a pretty much one-way ticket to a life of struggle and poverty. Financially, it is a disaster. Unless you can find some other guy who'll pick you up who's got money or you happen to be independently wealthy. It is a struggle. Talk to any woman who's been through it. It is a financial... You would think that motive alone would cause people, but people get so emotionally caught up, they get so mad. But as bad as it was today, as it is today, it was way worse 2,000 years ago. These women were doomed. There was no way they could survive financially. They, they, were, they were just put in a horrible place if they were divorced. So men use this position of, I can divorce any, for any reason, and keeping their wives in fear. And, and it, was a, it was an icky thing. And these guys kind of thought it was kind of cool. And the Pharisees said, it's okay, right? And Jesus replied to him, says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, you little twits. It was not this way from the beginning. You don't treat women this way. You don't terrorize your wife and your children. Be a man. 
And the disciples said to him, well, if that's the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Oh, these self-centered little snots. Can you imagine this? These are the disciples. They're saying, if you can't get rid of her anytime you want, well, better to stay single. Oh my gosh, that was 2,000 years ago. So apparently John the Baptist didn't get hold of these guys. But he understood turning the hearts of the men back to their families. Miracle number one. Miracle number two. Turn the disobedient to wisdom. People who are doing the wrong things to doing the right things. Do the right thing. Why does my life stink, Pastor? Because you're doing the wrong thing. I know, but I want it to be blessed. Well, stop doing the wrong thing. Can't you just pray for me? People don't want to do the right things. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. They hate it. They hate it. I hate it. They hate discipline. They hate wisdom. They don't want to do practical, right things. They want some kind of a shortcut to a successful life. The bad news is there is no shortcut, boys and girls. You have to do the right thing. Study God's word. Let his principles. Let the wisdom. The reason we preach and teach and do what we do. Is to try to get into you practical wisdom. This is how you live life. And if you will do it you'll begin to succeed. But we despise wisdom today. We'd rather live by our feelings. Rather listen to Oprah. Believe in what the newspapers are writing. Reason like the pagans around us. Anything. Than to obey the teachings of the scriptures. Many even prefer today divine revelation to the scriptures. Christians. You know, there's a small percentage of people. They're always, God told me this and God told me that and God told me. Of course, there's, it's just the oddest thing. I mean, one time a guy told me, God spoke to me, this is going to happen. And three days later, God changes his mind. Was God schizophrenic? Does God just know what he's talking about? But they never catch that. It never dawns on them. They just live in this world of God told me God. And then if they say, well, God told me. I say, well, really? Well, where is, that, where is that biblically? And they just stare at you. Well, God told me. Well, God told me. You got to tell me, when you come to me and say, God told me, you know what I'm hearing? That's all I'm hearing. God told me. It means jack snot to me. Say, do you not believe in God? Yes, I do. God will speak to me. I believe God speaks to people. But even in the New Testament, when God spoke to somebody, they didn't just go around and say, God told me. Say, God spoke to me, and this happened, and that happened, and there's evidence, and the scriptures say this. There was a case to be made. But people don't want to make a case. They just want to, whatever thoughts go flying through their mind, they're just letting their lives be dealt by that. Goodness gracious, people. Let's be mature. Let's be solid. Let's get practical wisdom. But people despise wisdom. The Bible says if you don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom. We don't want that. We want God to tell us. We even encourage people. I don't know what to do. Well, pray and God will tell you what to do. Really? Because that's not a very biblical concept. It says get wisdom. Hunger for wisdom. Praying. If you ask God for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom. Practical understanding and what to do. But we don't want that. We despise that in our culture today. Even our Christian charismatic cultures, particularly, they despise it. They want divine wisdom. Honestly, and I, I'll tell you, it's, it's one thing when people tell them God's telling them one thing. It's another thing when they tell you that God told them to tell you what to do. That's when the ee, 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 comes out in my life, man. It's the warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger. Now, if God has been dealing with you about going to Africa 
and your boss says to you, you know, I'm going to give you off 10 weeks of free pay so you can go to someplace like Africa. And all of a sudden somebody gives you thousands of dollars and says, I don't know, I felt like I should give this to you because maybe you should go to Africa. And then someone comes to me and says, and, and, and comes to you and says, you know, I was praying and God spoke to me that you ought to go to Africa. Then you ought to go to Africa. All right? That's just one piece of the puzzle. But if some guy comes up to you and says, God told me to tell you to go to Africa, but there's no inclination, no nothing, there are people. I know of so many, particularly charismatics, who will act on one word as some person told them. With no evidence God said anything else to them, just because, well, the Lord told me. God, I'm prophesying over you. Good night, people. Don't just jump off a bridge because someone said, God told me to tell you to jump off a bridge. There needs to be something else. God will sometimes use things like that as a confirmation and a way of encouraging you. But don't act, man. And why is it? Why is it the people who always seem to hear the most from God are the squirreliest people in the world? I mean, they just, you know, I don't mean to be mean, but squirrel is as squirrel does. Has anybody noticed this? The ones who have the most revelations, these are the ones that are personalized, are a disaster. They can't pay their bills. They can't hold a job to save their lives. They can't keep a family relationship together. Most people, quite frankly, can't stand them. But yet... God speaks to them all the time. You know, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. Look at a person. When someone says to me, God's telling me, I look at their life. If these are people who have their lives together, and God is using and blessing them, they have my attention then. Then I'm not hearing blah, 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 blah. But goodness gracious. Just be careful of that stuff. All right? I'm not saying I don't believe God speaks. I do believe God speaks to people. But I think it's more the exception than the rule. God will speak to me, but it's usually very short conversations. Like, don't do that. What do you mean? And then nothing. All right? Or do that. Okay, how? And nothing. You know what I'm saying? Now, these people say, well, God told me, get up at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning and turn on channel 27 and then drive around the house three times and put on blue socks and... and uh, okay. You know... It, I just, I, I don't know too many people who get that. You know, but if your life is a success and you're really doing wonderful things for God and da 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 and he talks to you that way, fabulous. But by and large, people who talk like that are a little squirrely. For what it is, I know some of it makes you mad. Get in line. All the other people who are mad at me. That's a miracle we need today, though. I'm telling the church, practical wisdom. We just need to get back to practical wisdom. God telling people what to do. Man, almost every church in America this morning at the offering will pray, let's bow and let's ask God to tell you what to give. It's not even biblical. There's no place in the Bible anyone ever did that, nor does it ever tell anyone to pray in that way. But we're so caught up in this God telling people. Do you really think God's going around saying, oh, 25 bucks, a buck 30, uh, 45 cents? You know? Do you really think that's what's going on? I mean, if God is, if people are that tuned in God where they can hear every little word to do, how come our lives stink so much? How come we're struggling so much? I'll tell you why, because that's not reality. We need to get back to practical, common sense Christianity. Hallelujah. I'm talking too long. (laughs) 
And then the third miracle, prepare people for the Lord. Challenging, we say, people to become all that God has called them to be. This is another miracle. If you can get people who will say, I want God to use me. And don't go around so much praying, God use me as so much as, God make me usable. Work in my life. Change me. Deal with me. Make me the man, the woman that you can use for the advancement of your kingdom. Not just sideline participators and viewers, but active participants in building the kingdom of God. That's what we need. That takes a miracle. These are the three miracles I want in our lives. Well, Zechariah goes on, he says, well, how can I be sure of any of this? I'm an old dude, my wife's well along in years. He didn't believe it. He basically said he didn't believe it. And he got in trouble. And the angel told him he won't be able to speak now until this miracle happens. Now, stop and think about this. Here is a guy who says, I don't believe it, but the angel says, okay, but it's going to happen anyway. It's very interesting. When you compare that to other stories in the Bible, like a guy like Moses. You know, God comes to Moses and tells him, uh, let's look at the Numbers, the uh, 20th chapter, verse 8. Let's just jump to that real quick. Chapter 20, chapter, and then verse 8. It says, God tells Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out uh, water so everybody can drink. So here they are. They're uh, in a bad place. They're traveling in the desert. They were whining constantly, these people. Unbelievable. And uh, Moses, God says to Moses, speak to that rock in front of everybody and water will rush out of it and everybody will have water. Well, look what Moses does. In verse 9, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded and he and Aaron gathered everybody together in front of the rock and Moses says to them, listen, you rebels! He had had it up to here with these people. I mean, he is, is so irritated with these people. These people, why? You should read the story of the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. It is a fascinating read. You would think these people would have great faith. I mean, these guys were seeing miracles that you and I would pay big money to see. I mean, you know, frogs coming everywhere and plagues and the sea splitting wide open and God was, God stood before them every day either in a big cloud, a pillar of clouds or at night it turned to a, a pillar of fire. I mean, they could just look, he's right there. They'd wake up in the morning and manna, food, bread from heaven would just be on the ground. they just pick up the bread for the day. Didn't even have to do anything. It's bread automatic. You would think if you had those kinds of experiences, you would be filled with faith. Wouldn't you think? Wrong. You'd think wrong. Because they saw all that and they didn't believe Jack. You needed to see something. Faith doesn't come as a result of seeing here. It comes as a result of seeing here. And if it will come here first and then you see it, then it's real. People say, well, I wish people would just see more miracles. God, if you just do me more miracles, why doesn't God do more miracles? Because that's not how you get the faith. It starts here. Now, miracles still come. But it comes usually, those who birthed it here, you see it on the inside first. But these nitwits, they were just constantly whining and complaining. Moses was so ticked off at him. So then verse 11, he says, Moses raises his arm and he strikes the rock twice. Stupid rock. And water comes squirting out. Got this big miracle. Well, as, as you read this, God gets so ticked at him. He says, just for doing that, you're not getting into the promised land. Whoa, now stop thinking. His whole life is about getting into the promised land. His whole, but because he hit the rock instead of talking, God said, just speak to the rock. Kind of a technicality, wouldn't you think? Yeah. You didn't speak to it, you hit it. And because you hit it, you're not getting into the promised land. Whoa. But now Zechariah, angel comes to him and says, this great thing's going to happen. He says, I don't think so. I'm too old. And he still gets the miracle anyway. Now granted, 
He says, well, you're a smart guy. You're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months till the baby's born. So it costs him a little something, but still got the miracle. You say, why is that? Because to whom much is given, Jesus said, much is required. Moses, and let me say this as an encouragement to you as you prepare your hearts for for Christmas this year and and we'll challenge you about trusting God and experiencing God in your life. A lot of times it's easy to think, you know, I struggle, you know, God's mad at me, I keep making mistakes, you know. How many of you in your Christian life, you blow it? Let me see your hands. There must be two of you at least. (gasps) Look at all these sinners, okay? All over the place. We all struggle, all right? And it's easy to think, God's mad at me, God's disappointed, God thinks I'm a failure, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. You know, and then all you got to do is read something like Moses, man, if God got mad at Moses for that little technicality, he must be really ticked at me, right? Easy to think that way. But I got news for you. You're not Moses. Okay, now if you get up in the morning and God literally sits down and talks with you and has coffee with you and everywhere you go splits things open and water comes pouring out of rocks and everything, yeah, you better pay attention to what God tells you to do. Okay? But if you're like Zechariah, who probably this is the first time he ever saw an angel, are you hearing me? You know, and doesn't respond maybe just quite right. It's not over for him. Okay? You know, the, the, the more you grow in your faith, and you'll, you'll see this, God will start requiring more out of your life as you grow, but don't get freaked out when you read accounts like Moses and these other guys who blew it and, you know, um, you know they touched something and they dropped dead. I mean, there's all these really intense stories in the Old Testament. But these are people who saw God do incredible things and God said, make sure you only do such and such. And then they bought, then yeah, they pay a big price. But you're not there, we're not there. We don't think in those kinds of terms. Don't get so disappointed because you blow it. We all blow it. I know this will shock some of you. But sometimes I blow it. I don't just float around spiritually all day. Sometimes I get mad. Sometimes I get mean. Sometimes I'm a jerk. Sound like a jerk right now, actually, Pastor. But uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, don't get freaked out. God can still do miracles in your life, is my point, as we get ready for Easter. Or Easter, <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> then Easter. All, all, all in row there. Christmas, Easter, whatever. As we get ready for this wonderful time of the year, God can still use you. God can still bless you. God can still do miracles in your life. Even though you're more of a Zechariah than a Moses. And my guess here is most of us are more like Zechariahs. We, we do the right things. We trust God. We still make mistakes. We might doubt sometimes. But it doesn't mean God is done with you yet. That's the good news in this story. Is that even though he struggled. And it cost him something. He had to take signing lessons for nine months. Because he couldn't hear anything. All right? he couldn't, or he couldn't talk. Okay, he, 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 he struggled, but he still got his miracle. And we read here in uh, Luke, the 20, first chapter, verse 21 now. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. He was in there praying. He's supposed to come out by now, why, why, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he came out, he couldn't speak, just like um, the, the angel told him. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs. He had a sign because he wasn't, wasn't able to speak to them. Uh, And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, guess what? Elizabeth gets pregnant. And for five months, she remains in seclusion. Probably because this was so special to her and amazing. And probably she wanted to hang out for a while. I mean, 
you know, I'm sure she'd have gotten a lot of weird stares. It's one thing when you're 20 or 30 and you're walking around pregnant. It's another thing when you're 50-something and somebody goes, oh, look at that. You know what I'm saying? This, this was quite the miracle. And I'm sure it would have gotten a lot of stares and stuff. She kind of kept low. But she says this wonderful thing. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She was cherishing, receiving a prayer that she'd willingly let go of a long time ago. Not in unbelief, but just in surrender. And God was able to bless her. And then it goes on in Luke, as we wrap this up, that um, in the sixth month, God sent Gabriel, the same angel, to Nazareth this time, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel comes to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, What kind of greeting is this? But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And next Sunday, we're going to take a look at the difference in how Mary responded versus how Zechariah responded and, and really learn some things. I also have some cool little video clips I want to show you uh, that, that show this, this struggle that uh, Mary dealt with. This, is, this was a big deal. This girl really walked in faith and it was a hard thing for her to do. And uh, we'll take a look at that as we continue to prepare our hearts for Christmas. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. Uh, get ready for communion this morning and our musicians to come at this time. So, busy time of the year. We're all running around getting ready for Christmas. That's fine. It's great. It's wonderful. Enjoy it. The shopping, the, the twirling around, the, you know, my wife's been busy with the musical that's going to be here Wednesday night. Remember, this Wednesday, no regular Bible study. It's going to be the kids' program. But come on out. It's going to be fabulous. It's a great program. They'll be singing, dancing, and stuff. It's a perfect... A time of year for kids. Uh, lots of things to do. And I get that. That's okay. Don't feel badly about that. Try, try not to burn out, but it is what it is. But make sure you don't get so caught up that, that you don't reflect somewhat. What is Christmas really about? And, and are you preparing your heart? Are you letting, allowing God to work a miracle in your heart as a man? Are you letting God turn your heart back to your family to be the man? That God's called you to be. Are you embracing wisdom in your life? Or are you just trying to live by what you think. And by your emotions. And what you know little goofy things off on the side. Or are you being practical? Are you learning the scriptures? Doing what God taught us to do? Is your life about saying God use me for your kingdom? Or are you just sitting on the sidelines. Kind of watching from a distance. Let God do these miracles in you. This Christmas as we get ready for the Christmas season. You know, communion is a great time. The Bible says when you take communion, we should examine ourselves. And so, and whenever we get done with a message like this, any, any message, and we take communion, it's a great time to reflect and think, am I living this? How, how does this message affect me? What am I doing? And, and as we reflect during this time, if you need to pray and say, Lord, forgive me for messing up or God, give me strength to do the right thing or help me to, to rise to this next new level. That's what should be happening during this time of communion. Uh, and it's also a great time for maybe people who have never really taken their first step of faith. If you're like that here this morning and you've never really surrendered your heart to Christ, ask him into your life. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite everybody to pray. Not that everybody needs to get saved every weekend, but it's it's just that we pray this together so everyone feels comfortable doing it. If you have never made that first step of faith where you're saying, you know, I want to turn my life into God's hands. If you'll pray this prayer and believe this from the bottom of your heart, you can begin your first steps of faith this morning. 
as you commit your life to God. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you.